Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to uh, Luke chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, grab one right in front of you, the red ones. I didn't get the page number today, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament, chapter 11. How do you pray? How do you pray? Think about your prayer life for a minute. Think about times in which you've closed your eyes, bowed your head, and prayed to God. Think about this past week when you prayed. Was your prayer life this past week uh, filled with, um, you know, the, the normal prayers, praying over meals, the kind of the obligatory prayers. Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. Amen. Was your prayer life this last week something that you turned to only when you had a need? Oh, Lord, I've got a, I've got a situation on my hands. Uh, I, I need your help right now, and I'm asking you, God, would you, would you please just help me right now? I need you. I need you to fix this. I need you to solve this. I need your help, Lord. So I'm going to pray. Was your prayer life non-existent? Did you not pray this week? You're looking back and you're thinking, wow, uh, I prayed on Sunday at church, um, but I can't recall really talking to the Lord any other time. What's your prayer life like? I think that for most of us, uh, when we think about our prayer life, we're probably a little disappointed with it, right? I know I am. When I think about my prayer life, I think, man, Neil, well, A, you're, you're a pastor. I mean, you're supposed to know how to do this. You know, you're, you're, you're the one who publicly prays. You're the one who, who stands before people and, and prays and is called upon to pray, and people come to you for prayer. So, Come on, Neil, why isn't your prayer life as vibrant as it ought to be? As frequent as it ought to be? As intimate as it ought to be? I had the privilege uh, this past week, Tom and I both, Pastor Tom and I, uh, we had the privilege of going away for a day, two days actually, and one night. We went down uh, to uh, an abbey, of all things, uh, Prince of Peace Abbey in Oceanside, which is a Catholic uh, a monastery, uh, num- uh, many dozens of monks that serve there. They, they practice hospitality. You can actually rent a room at the monastery, at the abbey, and uh, you can just have some quiet time up there with the Lord. And I went up there with a group of uh, pastors from uh, the local area, about seven of them, we had one who was kind of facilitating this spiritual retreat, and we went to this abbey in Oceanside, and one of the tasks that we had when we got there, the very first thing that we were asked to do by the man, uh, one of my mentors, Michael Bischoff, who was facilitating this retreat, he said, I want you to go out right now for four hours, four hours of uninterrupted silence, 
and solitude and prayer before God. Go. And off we went. Four hours of being quiet before the Lord. You learn rather quickly about your prayer life when you're given four hours to just be with Him. The title of this message is simple. When you pray. Um, I'm encouraging us and I'm exhorting us this morning to think about our prayer life. And I'm using the words of Jesus because it's, it's, it's the words that he uses right there in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. He tells his disciples, when you pray, and then he's going to give us an outline, a guide, a model for prayer. He is expecting that you and I are going to look upon this activity and value it and care for it and, and, and nourish it and nurture it into our lives in ways that we have not yet done, many of us, in our past. Jesus doesn't say, if you pray. He doesn't say, oh, those obligatory prayers, those duty prayers, those prayers that only come when you have something to call upon me for. No, he says, no, when you pray, and he's going to give you a list of things to consider. I want us, at the end of this message, to think long and hard about our prayer life and to think long and hard about what changes we need to make to it that we might be able to commune with God in a way that we've never done so before. Would you stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 11 and consider the matter of prayer? Luke chapter 11, verses 1, all the way to 13, though we're going to move rather quickly through uh, the latter sections. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Luke narrates in verse 1, Now it came to pass as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, that when he ceased praying that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John, John the Baptist, also taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to him, when you pray, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 5 And Jesus said to them Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. I need three loaves. And which of your friends would say this in verse 7? And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me. The door's now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, Jesus says, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise. And give him as many loaves as he needs. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will the father give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. If you then, being evil, knowing, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You may be seated. Jesus, in the midst of the chaos of his life, he, everywhere he goes, he's being uh, 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 swamped by people, by his disciples, by the multitudes, by anybody and everyone looking to gain Jesus' time, his ear. Jesus, take note, in the midst of the chaos of life, deliberately sought out time to be quiet and to commune with the Father. The, the spiritual retreat that I went on, um, that, took, uh, that took planning. That took preparation. I, I, uh, I helped uh, Michael, one of my mentors, facilitate this. I wanted this for, I wanted it for my group of pastors that I'm a part of, and I wanted it for me. And we spent a couple months, Michael and I, in preparation for that retreat. A couple months in planning it, in arranging it, in deliberately setting aside time so that we could go, so that others could go, and so that there could be uh, a, a good agenda, a good program, a good opportunity for retreat, for prayer, for time away with God. It took planning. It took deliberate action on our part. Jesus doesn't get away, in verse 1, without deliberate planning and deliberate action. You and I don't get away to commune with the Lord, to pray to Him, to seek Him in silence and in solitude, in quiet retreat, unless we plan for it. You plan for everything, though, don't you? On your calendars, I, I know many of you, you have your phone, right? You got your smartphone, and you could show, you could click on the calendar app, and I would see in that app many, many appointments, many different things that you're doing day by day. Some of you have a, a paper calendar still, and you're flipping through the calendar, and you're writing in your daily agenda things that are important to you, things that you need to accomplish. When was the last time one of those things included something like this? Oh, this, 2 o'clock from 2 to 4. This is my time with God. This is my time with the Lord. It's an appointment. I'm going to schedule it. When was the last time you scheduled time with God? You schedule things about your work. You schedule family events. You schedule so many other things. When was the last time you scheduled time with the Lord? Well, the disciples could tell that Jesus' deliberate, focused plan reaped results, reaped reward. They looked upon his face coming down from his time of prayer and they could tell that, that, man, he's been communing with the Lord. And so it drew them to Jesus. And as he was finishing his time in prayer, one of his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray like that. We can see the benefit. We want to pray like that, Lord. Our prayer life stinks. John, John the Baptist, he, he taught his disciples, they, they've learned some things. Would you teach us how to pray? And as in any teacher-disciple relationship, 
The disciple rightly expects the teacher to convey important spiritual truths. John had done so to his disciples, now Jesus to his. And Jesus obliges. And in verses 2 through 4, we have what is typically referred to as the Lord's Prayer. More to the point, though, it should perhaps be called the disciples' prayer. Because it is their guide, their outline for how to pray. Just as it is our guide, our outline in the here and now, if we wish to pray as God desires. And here is that guide. Take a look at verses 2 through 4. Here is the guide for how we should pray. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. In Matthew's account of this uh, same interaction with Jesus and the disciples, he uses the phrase, and in this manner you also should pray. In other words, this is a, a, a method, a mode, an outline, a guide for how to pray. Jesus is not suggesting use these exact words. So don't let that be a mistake as you read the words, when you pray, say. Jesus is not saying, say this in repetition. Rather, he's saying, in this way, in this format, in this guide, pray. And here's the guide. A few things to note about this guide. Number one, on your outline, if you're going to take notes on the back of your outline, at the very top, under uh, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer there, verses 2 through 4, there's a few, just three things I want to mention about this, because we've covered this before, but I want to bring out three points today. Number one, it is collective in orientation. Write the word collective down. It is collective in orientation. Now, of course, the Lord's Prayer, or we should call it the Disciples' Prayer, can be used and is used on an individual level. But it is interesting to note that Jesus uses plural pronouns throughout the guide. Our Father, give us daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Plural pronouns again and again and again. It's as if Jesus is suggesting something there. He's saying, look, avoid self-centered, self-centric praying. You're not the center of the universe. You're part of the whole. You're, we're in this together. As one prays, we all pray with him or her. And that's one thing to consider, especially when someone stands before us to pray, or when I pray, or when someone you know, stands before the, the, the congregation to pray. I think that uh, I worry, because I did so in the past myself. When someone would stand before me to pray, in the past, the, uh, I would think to myself, well, someone else is praying. And so I'm just going to sit here quietly and just kind of fold my hands and just bow my head and, and uh, just kind of listen. But that's a very passive way to respond when someone is praying on behalf of the people, particularly in a church setting. When someone is praying, Jesus is suggesting here that we're all collectively a part of this prayer. We're all collectively engaged, listening, 
intently to what is being prayed, to affirming the prayer, to listening to the the parts and the pieces of the prayer, the petitions and the honoring of the Lord and the various parts that with which we agree and with which we have commonality, saying in our hearts, yes, Lord, amen. Sometimes in some some, uh, church settings, in certain uh, denominations and, and groups, you'll hear people say, amen, yes, out loud, because they're affirming what is happening by the one who is praying. When one prays, you are all praying. Amen? When one prays, we are all praying. It is not time to tune out. It is not time to check out. It is not time to think, well, that's happening there, and I'm sitting back here. No, we are all communing with God. And when someone prays, you as a listener must resolve in your heart that you're praying too I'm praying with them amen yes yes Lord let that happen yes Lord I agree with that your heart is communing with the Lord just as much as the one who is speaking on your behalf let there be an active collective orientation to our prayer as the Lord suggests, there ought to be. Secondly, a second point. We often think of prayer as petition, right? We think of prayer as asking God, asking God, asking God. But number two, the, the, the second point here as we consider the disciples' prayer is that before petition, there is first reverence to God and a submissive spirit to His will and purpose. I'll say that again. Number two, before petition... There is first reverence to God and a submissive spirit to his will and his purpose. It is so natural to ask first. Kids, right? Many of you have kids. Many of you have had kids in the past or maybe you have grandkids today or maybe you interact with kids on some level. Kids ask first, don't they? They always ask first. Dad, can I? Mom, can I? Grandma, can I? Grandpa, can I do this? Can I get this? Can I have this? Can I go there? It's a little annoying when you hear those petitions and those requests, and it's the first thing, the first thing that the child comes up to you and says, rather than, well, why didn't you say hi to me? I'm often saying, Bennett's walking up, Dad, can I have this Lego, this Lego? Bennett, did you say hi to Dad? Oh, hi, Dad, can I have this Lego? Greet me, Bennett. Look at me. I'm a person. I'm your dad. Say hi. Look at me. Don't petition me. I wonder how, I wonder if that's how the Lord sometimes feels when we pray. Father, can I have this? Can I get this? Can I, I need this. Lord. And he's looking at us like, did you say hi? The good news is, is that God, the good news is that God does not mind our requests, as we will soon read later in the text. Petitions are not bad. Petitions are not bad when you pray. But of first importance, God wants to see his people look at him, greet him, reverence him before they focus on their supplications. 
You might think of a, of a friend who, whenever you're with them, all they do is talk about themselves, their life, their hopes, their dreams, their wants, their needs, and yet they never stop to look at you, consider you, value you, and what is happening in your life. God wants to see that we are interested in Him and not just in what He can give us. To value Him, to reverence Him. And when it comes to your requests, He's also curious to know if your requests, what are the nature of your requests? Are they an ultimatum? Or are they asked with a a humble and a submissive spirit? Some of us make requests of God and there can be an inner tone within us that says, and Lord, if you don't, if you, if you don't meet this request, then, uh, then I, I don't know, Lord. I, I just don't know. I don't know how our relationship will be. There are prayers of petition that say, Lord, you must do this. But then there are better prayers of petition that says, Lord, if you would, if you would, The Lord is looking not for a spirit of entitlement in us, but a spirit of looking upon Him first. Hallowing, sanctifying, setting apart His name, His person first. Our Father in heaven, I look at you. I greet you. Hallowed be your name. You are good and holy and right and true I value you your kingdom come your will be done Lord I have these petitions before I ask you for them I want you to know that I value your kingdom plans first that I'm more interested in your will not mine and so as I bring these requests to you Lord Know this, that regardless of whether you answer one of them, I will trust you. I will lean on you. Before petition, there is reverence, and there is a submissive spirit to his will and to his purpose, which often we cannot see. And we ask him things, and sometimes the answer is no, And we grouse and we grumble about it, and yet he's opened up a yes in a whole new way, which we cannot see. Submissively waiting upon him. That's what he's looking for. And number three on your outline, when it does come to petitions, regarding petitions, and don't mistake this point, this is perhaps the most important point I want to make today about the disciples' prayer. When it comes to petitions, petitions regarding petitions, the emphasis is on spiritual, not physical requests. The emphasis is on spiritual, not physical requests. Verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread, okay, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It is very likely, it is likely, I should say not very likely, it is likely that the daily bread referred to in verse 3 is just that. Having enough food and physical resources to live on the earth. 
Although, although a case can be made that bread in verse 3 may actually refer to spiritual sustenance, such as the word of God, or to Christ himself, who is the bread of life. Jesus was found, of course, earlier in Luke 4, reciting that great passage that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But let's grant for a moment that verse 3 is about the physical bread of life, physical resources of life. The primary emphasis, even if we grant that verse 3 is physical, the primary emphasis of the guide of the outline The bulk of the words and the concepts and the ideas, particularly verse 4, are matters of the Spirit, are matters of our own spirit. Forgive us our sins, God, as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's our endeavor, Lord. And don't lead us into temptation. Don't, Lord, don't, don't allow the devil, the enemy, to take hold of us to take advantage of us, but deliver us from him, from the evil one. Jesus is teaching us that when we pray, our requests of God should most certainly include petitions that would avoid sin, that would draw us nearer to him in truth and in holiness, and nearer in community with one another by means of forgiveness. We're to ask God for spiritual growth, for spiritual life, for spiritual health, The petitioning, the bulk of the petitioning in the guide for how to pray relates to your spiritual life. Now again, as a pastor, uh, I get to pray often for you, for many. Um, And when I ask people, how can I pray for you? I generally know the, the tone and the tenor of the response The tone and the tenor of the response is going to be that, well, uh, Pastor, I have uh, this, you know, physical need. Uh, uh, I have, I need a job. I need uh, a little bit more help monetarily. Um, I'm trying to, you know, help my kids uh, pay for this and that. Or there's always something around related to the physical. Maybe, maybe physically, physical illness, uh, disease, sickness. um, Oftentimes related to finances. Rare is it, exceedingly rare, do I have someone say, Pastor, pray for my holiness? Pastor, would you pray for me to stand in the midst of temptation? I'm being, I'm facing temptation. Would you, Pastor, pray for me for my intimacy with God? I feel that it's lacking. And I'm guilty of it too. When people ask, Pastor Neil, how can I pray for you? My mind generally goes to the physical. I think about my kids, my wife. I think about just uh, just our livelihood, how you know, just what's happening in our life, all all things physical, our health. When it comes to petitions, the emphasis is on the spiritual, not the physical requests. Does that mean I don't bring physical requests to God? Of course not. Are those things a nuisance to God? Of course not. Of course we bring our physical requests to God. But isn't it ironic that in the guide for how to pray? The emphasis is on the spiritual, the spiritual petitions. When was the last time you petitioned God about your spiritual life with him? We still bring physical requests to God. Let me affirm that. Our bulletin is filled with them. Rare in our bulletin do you read of uh, requests for 
spiritual petitions. Maybe we should remedy that. But of course we bring our physical requests to God too. They're not a nuisance. God delights in meeting the genuine needs of his people as we shall now see in verses 5 to 8. Take a look at 5 to 8. He, now he gives a story. And he said to the disciples, verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And who will answer? This is the man inside the house. And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed and I cannot rise and give to you. Jesus pipes in in verse 8, uh, having narrated the story thus far, and he says, And I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, because he's his friend, but because of the man's persistence outside, knocking, 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 he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Well, some friend, huh? His buddy is outside in the cold. It's cold outside. It's midnight. And, and, and at that time of the, the day, you know, all the streets are completely empty. Everyone's inside, warm, under the covers, in bed, probably asleep or nearing sleep. The man is outside knocking on the door in dire need for three loaves of bread to offer to his house guest. And I emphasize dire need. You say, dire need? What's the dire need? Well, it is strange. It's strange in our day for a, a neighbor to come knocking on the door. You know, just imagine, imagine last night. You get a knock at the door at midnight, and you open the door, and you're, you're kind of wiping your eyes, and you're looking out, and there's your neighbor saying, I need three loaves of bread. I've had a house guest arrive late, and I have nothing to give them. We would look at them and say, what are you talking about? Just... Tell them to go to bed hungry or go down to the store, right? I mean, why are you knocking on my door and waking me up at midnight for three loaves of bread? Ah, but you see, we're in the 21st century. Go to the first century, Jewish culture, honor shame culture, not a 24 7 uh, grocery store down the street. It was considered deeply disgraceful to have no food to offer a guest who arrived at your home. The shame of such a situation would be so intense, something to be avoided at at all costs, so much so that you would be willing to go next door and knock and knock and knock until your neighbor woke up and brought you enough food to offer your guest. It would have been a crisis situation in the first century Jewish culture at that time to not have food to offer your guest. And so now you begin to see a little bit behind the culture and the history of this story. But back to the man, uh, uh, excuse me, Back to the man outside in the cold, desperately hoping to avoid the disgrace. He's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking. He's speaking and calling to his friend inside the house. I'm distressed. I need help. This is a petition of utmost importance. I need three loaves of bread. 
He needs to give his house guest some daily bread. Note the reference to verse 3, by the way. That's not insignificant. He needs to give his neighbor some daily bread. It would be considered a crisis not to. But the man inside, he's cozy and warm. He's in bed. His whole family's asleep. Don't trouble me. You just woke me up. Go away. Some friend. They're friends, though. Jesus says so right in the story, doesn't he? Which of you shall have a friend that does this to you in verse 5? A friend. Not a stranger, but the man who's cozy and warm in bed, he is not motivated. Note this. He is not motivated by the friendship alone to get up and get out of bed and go help his friend. Friendship alone is not motivating enough for him to rise. It'll take something more. There was a time, about uh, nine months ago, almost a year, there was a time when uh, Amelia, our youngest, would start waking up at night, in the wee hours of the night, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and she would wake up, this is about nine months ago, 12 months ago, she would wake up and she would have, have dropped her blanket outside of her crib. And Casey and I, we have a monitor in our room so we can hear her, and, and we would begin in the wee hours of the night as we were fast asleep in our cozy and warm bed, we would begin to hear Amelia say, my blankie, my blankie, I need my blankie. And Casey and I would be like, oh gosh, it's happening night after night after night. And I would kick Casey and say, she needs her blankie. And Casey, Casey would kick me back and say, yeah, she needs her blankie. And we would just sit there kind of nudging each other. She needs her blankie. Hey, you good. Blankie. Get her blankie. Yeah, sure. You too. You. You get it. And Amelia's just five minutes, ten minutes. Blankie, I need my blankie. I dropped my blanket. Unfortunately for her, for Amelia, her parents were warm and cozy. And Amelia's initial calls for help went unanswered. That is... Until Amelia learned to speak like a cave woman. Yes, a cave woman. You see, somewhere in those days and weeks, as time went by, Amelia recognized that uh, her, her quiet and soft calls for help were not very effective. And so she began to try a new tactic in which she would have these these elongated, deep, guttural noises that would come from her mouth in the wee hours of the night. And, and I'm not kidding here. After, after 10 minutes of quiet, blankie, please, I need my blankie, Amelia realized that her niceties were, were just going nowhere, and so instead, she reached a breaking point, and then we would hear the slow, deep, guttural call of the cave woman from the crib. I want blanket! No, it was lower than that. I want blanket! 
I'm not exaggerating. The first time it happened, we thought there was a demon in the room. We ran inside and we were like, what's going on? And she's sitting here like this, like the Incredible Hulk. It was amazing. And we looked at her and we're like, did that sound come from you? She just belly guttural, just, I want blanket. She got her blanket. Let me tell you, she got her blanket in no time flat. And she continued to get her blanket night after night after night until finally we convinced her that she does not need to speak like a cave woman to get what she wants. Now, if you ask her, if you find Amelia one day, you should ask her to, you know, ask for her blanket and see what she does. She might grin at you because she kind of remembers those days. Verse 8, I say to you, Jesus says, though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. We were Amelia's, we are Amelia's parents. Her mother and her father. And we valued our sleep more than our daughter's petition. Her relationship with us as our daughter wasn't good enough for us to rise. It took Amelia's persistence, her cavewoman persistence, for her to get her petition answered, for her to get her blanket. In Luke 11, the man in the cold was good friends with the man cozy and warm inside. But their friendship, their relationship, wasn't good enough to move the needle. It took the man's persistent knocking and calling from outside, persistent calls for help, and finally his friend rose and gave him the bread that he needed. What's Jesus' point? Jesus is the master teacher. And he's making a wondrous spiritual truth. He's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. And he's saying this. If in this fallen world, amidst family and friends, who often disappoint us, if in this fallen world, amidst family and friends who often disappoint us, we can still, through persistence, get the help that we need when we are in dire straits, then how much more will we get help from the one who is perfect and faithful and dependable above all others? And the answer is is that God is ever ready to help us in our time of need. Just ask. And he says as much as he closes. So I say to you, ask. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. You will find. Knock. And it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. 
If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will the father give him a stone? No. If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? No. If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. If you then, being evil, fallen men and women, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is suggesting He is teaching you and me that the Father is waiting, waiting to hear from you. He is eager to hear from you. Friends and family can disappoint, especially when we make petitions of them. But the Heavenly Father, He is looking down. He is waiting for you to ask. But not just to ask for the physical things of life. That's one aspect of it, sure. But it's in the way that you go about it. It's in reverencing Him and worshiping Him first, in being submissive to His will and His way first. And then when it comes to petitions, to considering your spiritual walk with Him. I want to close by looking at those three items between the Son and the Father. Look at them again with fresh eyes. The first one. If a son asks for bread, what father gives him a stone? If a son asks for fish, what father gives him a serpent? If a son asks for an egg, what father gives him a scorpion? What is Jesus' point here? Why is he throwing out these absurd uh, references to strange things that a father would give his son. Now it's interesting. You look at stone, verse 11. The son asked for, what did he ask for instead of a stone? The son asked for what in verse 11? Bread. And he got a what? Stone. I remember in Luke 4 when uh, Satan showed a stone to Jesus and said, hey, turn this stone into bread. Jesus looked upon the devil in Luke 4 and said that uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan tempting, tempting Jesus with a stone. Just turn this into bread. The stone was a symbol of temptation. You look at serpent and scorpion, and you might recall Pastor Tom's message from Luke chapter 10. When the 70 went out, And when they came back, and it's interesting, uh, the references that Jesus makes to uh, what he saw as the power of God was being made manifest through through the representatives that he sent out. Take a look at Luke 10, the chapter prior, Luke 10. Verse 18, and Jesus said to them all, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's talking about the spiritual realm. He's talking about evil spirits, about demonic oppression. He's talking about temptation, about, about sin, about death, about evil, about Satan and all of his minions. 
When he references serpents and scorpions, he's talking about the spiritual forces of wickedness. And when he references stone, the stone was a symbol of evil, of temptation. Jesus just turned it into bread. And so, when we come to the end of Luke 11, where we are today, verses 11 and 12, and then 13, it's as if Jesus is hearkening back their minds to what he's already taught them, saying, look, ask, seek, knock. It will be given to you. The Father is eager to give it to you. But as you do this, as you petition me, think about the spiritual petitions of your life. Think about the spiritual growth and life and health of your life. Ask God for sustenance there. Ask God for intimacy there. Ask God for health there. I know you pray about the flu. I know you pray about your finances. I know you pray about good health. I know you pray about physical safety and all of these things, and they're good. But think about the stones and the serpents and the scorpions. Think about growing in me spiritually. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit who is the distributor of all good things to those who ask Him? Jesus is parking it in allusions to spiritual petitions. And I think in our prayer life, in mine, I have not gone far enough in that realm. I think I've got number one, collective. I think, uh, I think I understand that one a little bit. I think that might be something that each of you can, uh, can, we all can grow in a little bit. But I think I've got that one down. When someone's praying, I am praying with them in the spirit. Amens. Yes, Lord. Yes. Number two, okay, I get that. We want to reverence the Lord first. We want to greet Him first. We want to recognize Him first, being submissive to His will. But it's the number three there. The emphasis on spiritual petitions and not merely physical requests. I wonder, I wonder if that component is missing. Part of that's missing in my prayer life. Maybe it's missing in yours. When you pray, consider these things. Be deliberate, be proactive, schedule it with the Lord. And when you schedule that time, when you've uh, set it aside, try praying for matters of the Spirit. Consider your heart, consider what you're tempted by, consider the sin, consider your spiritual life and health, and ask God to avoid the stones and the serpents and the scorpions of life. Ask Him for real, real sustenance that comes from his word, that comes from his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you're eager, eager to listen to our prayers. Once we call to you, Lord, you are uh, waiting, waiting to hear from us. Lord, I think you just want us to tweak it a little bit, the way in which we pray and how we go about it. I think, Lord, that you'd like us to schedule this a lot more intentionally. It won't happen unless we schedule it. I know in my life, Lord, if it's not on the calendar, it's not happening. Lord, help us to be intentional about our prayer life. And then when we pray, Lord, let us, let us, let us follow the guide. Let there be a focus 
on the collective nature of prayer, a focus on you and your will and your way. More importantly, Lord, and we have, we have plenty of physical requests. You know you'll hear those, and we, we know that, that you delight in hearing those. But Lord, let us bring with them spiritual prayers, spiritual requests and petitions that would beseech you, Lord, to draw us in nearer and closer in holiness and in truth. Thank you for this guide, Lord. Let us put it into practice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.